Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome to the Bill Press Pod amid yet another chapter in this dark age of the coronavirus epidemic. We muddle through as best we can with no clear direction or realistic hope of a clear endgame. We're growing so impatient to get back to life as normal, for example, that almost every state is moving to loosen up restrictions somewhat, and yet the number of cases and deaths from COVID-19 still increases every day. We're ready to sign up for the vaccination that'll put the coronavirus behind us, and yet health professionals tell us that could still be a year away. We look for direction from the White House and, finding none, look to state governors instead, but some of them are as clueless as Donald Trump. We turn to Congress, but they can't even agree whether or not it's safe to be in the same building at the same time. Well, here's one idea we should all be able to get behind to recognize those workers who can't just stay at home, whose jobs require them to be on the front lines and to reward them with hazard pay. That's an idea put forth by Congressman Tim Ryan, who joins us from his home in Youngstown, Ohio. Congressman, good to talk to you. I hope you and your family are safe there out uh, in Youngstown. Tell us, what is the current status of the coronavirus uh, in the state of Ohio? Ohio's been uh, one of the states uh, pretty badly hit. Yeah, we're, you know, we're stable. Um, Mahoning County, which is Youngstown, was the hardest hit in the state. Um, but we were in very, very early with the stay-at-home orders, and, and Governor DeWine has done a good job of, uh, you know, keeping the, the state prepared and the early intervention. And, and so things are stabilizing. Um, you know, there's still a lot of cases coming in. Uh, and you know, we got a long way to go, but for the most part, uh, we, we prevented the, uh, the healthcare system and the healthcare workers from getting completely overwhelmed, uh, and flattened the curve, which I guess was the goal. And so, you know, we're happy with that, but we, we know we still got a long way to go. You think the governor, uh, Governor DeWine's been on top of this from the beginning? Yeah, he really has. You know, I mean, the president was calling this a hoax and, and Governor DeWine was moving forward, preparing the state for uh, what was to come and, you know, trying to penetrate the, the national consciousness uh, or the, the state consciousness that gets overwhelmed by the national storyline that the president was pushing, which I think made it a little bit harder for Governor DeWine. But he did a nice job. And I think most people were taking it very seriously. And uh, he had, you know, he was always with his. Director of Public Health, Dr. Amy Atkin, um, who happens to be from just outside of Youngstown. So we're very proud of her. And they did a good job. And he, he showed a lot of courage and a lot of leadership. And now he's being pretty methodical with how we're, you know, at least having conversations about how we're going to come out of this thing. Yeah, that's what I want to ask you next. What are the plans uh, for reopening uh, in Ohio? I imagine it'll be gradual. What are the kind of steps that you see? And 
and what kind of conditions do you think have to be met um, as we go along? Well, it's it can it could look confusing, but I think there's a consistency within it. So he extended the stay-at-home order to May 29th, um, but at the same time, uh, starting today and on Monday, he's beginning to slowly unravel for certain industries, so construction and uh, some transportation uh, stuff and manufacturing. He, if you can keep your social distancing and those kind of things. Um, he's starting to open things up a little bit. And the goal here really is to see where we are in a couple weeks, which is why he extended the stay-at-home order to the end of the month. But in a couple weeks, we'll know if there's some significant uh, increase in cases because there's about a two-week lag. It was interesting, two weeks after uh, after, uh, Easter, we saw an increase in some of the local hospitals because people over Easter weekend mm. were, um, you know, were interacting with each other and not necessarily adhering to the stay-at-home orders in, in a robust way. So it was, it was just uncanny to see two weeks later, boom, there's, there's the increase. And so what we'll do now is as, as this un, unravels, uh, we'll know in the middle of May exactly what the, in, was there an increase? Was it still flat? What happened? And then reevaluate where we go from there. And I really think that's how this is going to go down for the states that are going to do it in a thoughtful way is, is take modest steps uh, because we don't have the testing and see where we are in a couple weeks. And if things are okay, take another modest step. Uh, and when you look across the country, Congressman, what's your evaluation of the role uh, the governors have played, Republican and Democrat, um, uh, compared to the role of the Trump White House? Well, the you know, depending on the state, but I, I think overall the governors are clearly uh, calling the shots here. And and why the president wants that to be the case uh, is, is unknown, other than I think he doesn't want to take responsibility for anything, really. I mean, not just this, but anything. <laughs> right. um, yeah. um, and and so the governors are being highlighted, whether you're the governor of Georgia or Texas or, or uh, you know, Florida or uh, Mike DeWine here in Ohio. Um, and so they, they've been taking the lead. And I guess we're going to see. I mean, we're going to see what, what happens in, in a place like Georgia. Um, but the, the, the problem is in, in crisis communication, the the key objective to protect the public is consistency and 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 thoughtfulness and we've had anything but that coming from the white house and i know people are are, are tentative to hesitant to criticize him uh, because he's the president we're in the middle of the pandemic but jesus i mean just unbelievably immature and divisive and in a time where we need to come together. And so that's frustrating too, because as you mentioned, you know, how's it going in Ohio? Well, we're trying to do our thing. And then the president is like starting fires all over the place. He's slamming Nancy Pelosi, he's slamming governors, he's getting in fight with people. He's, he's getting in a fight with China at the time we need their PPEs to at least come to the United States. Cause he's not, uh, you know, he, he uses the defense production act to, to help with with meat production and, and won't do it for, you know, certain uh, personal protective equipment because him and his friends want to eat steaks. I mean, it's insane. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is that this is costing states a lot of money. 
uh, and the states are saying, you know, we'd like some help from the federal government. Uh, Mitch McConnell says, drop dead, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're not going to give any give any money to the states. And the president says, well, we might give you some money if you end your sanctuary city policies in certain states. It's insane, isn't it? I mean, and I can say this in, in, to your audience because they're sophisticated and they understand this stuff. This is, there is a, behind the scenes, there is a long-term uh, conservative agenda, and it's the Koch brothers, and it's the Mercer family, and it's all of these different families who've been putting money behind this thing for 30 or 40 years to how do you destroy the, the, the you know, uh, New Deal, basically. And they wait for opportunities and, and crises to happen, and then they move in. And it could be privatizing things during Hurricane Katrina. It could be, you know, Cheney privatizing the military and then getting out to go run Halliburton. I mean, it's all of these things that they usually happen around a crisis. So here's the next crisis. And what do they come in and they want to they want to let the states go bankrupt so that they could uh, get into those pension funds and give all the working class people a haircut. If the local communities and cities go uh, bankrupt. All of a sudden, you got to renegotiate those union contracts in the city, and those are police and those are fire. And so this is their goal to dismantle uh, the Democratic New Deal state, and that means going after the unions, and that means going after union pensions and union workers, and eventually renegotiating union contracts with regard to the uh, public sector. And that's what's happening here. Like, they make no bones about it. Now, most Americans may not quite understand that and can't understand why he wouldn't want to help the states and the locals. But what we have to do is get this message out, especially the police and fire, who sometimes uh, aren't necessarily always voting with the people who are representing their economic interests around the bargaining table. And they may vote on some of the other issues. Uh, and they voted for Donald Trump. But when they see what's happening here, I hope they... We'll take a second look at, at the Democrats who are looking to make sure that these local communities and states get the money that they need so that they don't have to take a haircut. They're not making a ton of money anyway. And uh, and for them to take a haircut on their pension or for them to, their contracts to get renegotiated and their wages taken down because of Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, I would think that's something we need to communicate to them. No. Amen. You know, Congressman, you and I have had many conversations uh, on the uh, Bill Press show over the years, and it's always been about um, jobs, about um, American workers. Uh, given who you are and given where you come from, uh, that's been your main drive. And now we see 30 million Americans out of a job. What do you, what, how do you assess that impact on the American economy? And are those jobs ever coming back? It's it's really hard sometimes to get your head around this thing. I, I think every American at some yeah. point is is uh, you know we we're at home and you know we're doing things around the house or we're working from our home office or how, whatever the case may be. But there are these moments where you're just like, I cannot believe what's going on right now. Uh, and you read 30 million Americans now, and it's not going to get better anytime soon. And so my my sole purpose in life at this point is really what it has been is how do we take care of these workers and make sure that, you know, whether it's unemployment insurance, cash uh, assistance bill for $2,000 a month for everybody who makes less than $130,000 a year. Um, you know, I just want to make sure that these families 
uh, the pressure on them, Bill. I mean, it's just that the stress level um, is is so great, and and we need to make sure as a country we don't just take care of the banks or the big businesses or whatever, which have, you know everybody needs help now. But these families, you know, the, the 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 veil got pulled back, and we talked about this, and everyone. And when I was running for president. You know, people would say, well, what are you running on? I said, well, we're running on the economy and we're running on jobs and wages and the economic squeeze. And people are like, well, how are you going to run on that? The stock market's, you know, uh, doing well and right. and all that nonsense that we've been hearing. I said, no, people aren't doing well. Well, here you go. One paycheck, right, gets missed. And and people's worlds start unraveling because the ec the economy was not so secure. And I tell you what, Bill, you want to have a conversation that gets this half Irish, half Italian guy all fired up. Let's talk about <laughs> what's happened in the stock market in the last few weeks while the rest of the country is in disaster mode. You want to talk about a complete freaking disconnect from reality. You got 30 million people. That, that are filing for unemployment in, in a matter of weeks and the stock market goes up dramatically? I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, right. Uh, su such a disparity there between the two. It's just, uh, it is unbelievable. But yeah, one of the things, and, and uh, I was with you a little earlier today on your news conference, one of the ways that you've talked about uh, dealing with this problem is what you're calling hazard pay, uh, your legislation on that. How would it work? Who gets it? So uh, the bill we're introducing today, I'm supporting a bill with uh, Congressman Matt Cartwright, um, who's one of our frontline members out in Pennsylvania. And there are two, basically two categories. One are, are the one group is healthcare workers. So that would be, you know, hospitals, nursing homes, they would get an additional $18.50 an hour up to uh, $35,000 a year if they make less than $200,000 a year. The other group. Uh, is this on top of what they're. Yeah. This, if I can yep. jump. This is on top of what they're getting now, right? Correct. Correct. On top of what they're making now. Right. And then the other essential workers who are non healthcare related. So. Uh, think cashier at the at the grocery store who's working all these extended hours and you know getting sneezed on and coughed on and all this stuff in the middle of this pandemic, they would get an additional thirteen dollars uh, uh, an hour. Um, the same if they you know make less than a couple hundred grand. I think the, it's like twenty five or thirty five thousand dollars a year that they would be able to make um, up to that up to that amount. And it's just look, I mean. The, the things aren't going round and round without these essential workers, whether it's in the food ecosystem or in the healthcare ecosystem, and and we need to help them out, and and they deserve what they're getting now, and I, I hope that we can get this uh, get this passed. Is this standalone legislation, or would it be part of the? Yeah. Whoops, <laughs> there's your friend there. Hey, home office. Well, there you go. It happens. It happens well, <laughs> every interview I do. I get one dog bark. It's, uh, I'm batting a thousand here. Um, but yeah, well, it's standalone. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Baron Buckeye. They they get more press than I do. There's a UPS guy. Let him bark it out. <laughs> They have not figured out after all these many weeks that that guy is not going to hurt us, but they're doing their job. 
Uh, good job, guys. <laughs> so, all right, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a standalone bill, but you know, obviously, we want to try to get it into this next uh, CARES package uh, 2.0, mm-hmm. and I think it would be really appropriate. And you know, it's good policy, it's good economics, it's good demand side economics. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's good politics, too. I mean, we've got to let these workers know that there there is a political party in the United States who appreciates what they're doing. And, and it's not about just sending them a check. It's about respect and dignity and appreciation. And there's no better way to say that in the middle of a, an economic and public health crisis than rewarding them for their the risk that they're taking and the hazards that they're facing every day. Uh-huh. And Congressman, another uh, group of workers who are definitely uh, on the front lines and uh, I would say deserve deserve hazard pay are those workers in our meatpacking plants. I don't know whether you have any in Ohio or not, but hundreds and hundreds of these workers have uh, caught the disease. They work in such crowded conditions inside of those plants, unsafe conditions, I I believe. Uh, Dozens of them have died. Uh, And you indicated a little earlier President Trump says, I'm going to use the Defense Production Act to force those companies to reopen those plants and force those workers to go back to work. Yep. Well, it's unreal, isn't it? I mean, he if it affects I mean, this is kind of the thing that I think people are slowly starting and sometimes not so slowly starting to see about this president. If it is directly going to uh, uh, interfere with his life, if it has anything to do with him, he's going to act to help himself. If it has anything to do with anyone else, whether they're frontline workers or needing the PPE or all of these other things, he doesn't want to act. It's the governors, it's the locals, and let them let somebody else do it, or it's China's fault, or any. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And then all of a sudden, we're begging him to ramp up production for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and he all of a sudden uses the Defense Production Act for for meat and steaks. And look, I, I like a nice steak as much as the, the next guy from Ohio. But my God, this is what you're going to really go out on a limb on. And it's just revealing who he really is. And and I just think people are starting to really uh, come to grips with that. And it's hard to believe that someone could be so self-centered in the middle of a crisis like this and, and blaming and all of that. And we talk a lot, too. I mean, I'm from Northeast Ohio. We, you know, we grow up. We have a, a sports culture, you know, even if you don't play, there's a, you know, people watch and pay attention to it and all yeah. the rest. And the idea of looking at him and his leadership through the eyes of anybody who's ever played in, a, in an organized sport and think about your head little league coach or the head college coaches or the foot pro coaches on any sport and think blaming, shaming, dividing the organization. Like, what kind of leadership is, is happening right now? And, you know, the governor's this and the governor's that. Who the hell was the governor of Connecticut during World War II, right? I mean, did Roosevelt be like, well, look, you know, I mean, I know they built some submarines in Connecticut. I mean, best of luck to them out there. You know, if they need me for something, you know, let us know. We'll be behind you. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, who's going to build the airplanes? Well, Ohio's going to build them. Okay, well, best of luck to them. I hope, you know, I hope things work out. I mean, really? You know, it's just insane. Like, we're even having this conversation. (laughs) So uh, the Congress is coming. Well, I'm sorry, not the entire Congress. The Senate is coming back to Washington next week. The House is not. Uh, 
who's making the right decision here, Congressman, uh, Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell? You know, I, I think it's appropriate for us to be a little bit uh, cautious because there are increased uh, rates in Virginia, in Maryland, and in Washington, D.C. And so the, you know, the attending physician who works for the Congress, well, I think was recommending to most of us that it may not be a good idea, given the age, quite frankly, of a lot of the members of Congress. Uh, you know, I'm 46 and I'm like, I'm bringing up the rear here, you know, I'm the newbie. So I think it's appropriate, Bill. I really do. And I, you know, I'm, I'm we can reevaluate in a week or so and see where they are. Everybody who comes into the Capitol to work or to clean or to, you know, sanitize, well, they're all from Maryland, Virginia and Washington, D.C. So, you know, we, sure. we've got to be a little bit careful about, you know, telling everybody else in the country to adhere to you know, these public health requirements. And then we, you know, we flout them. So I think it's appropriate at the time. I hope the Senate's safe and, and everything else. Um, and we could get a lot of work done and we are getting a lot of work done remotely. I think like a lot of businesses and a lot of people who have found out in the past few weeks, man, you really can't get a lot done with these Zoom calls and everything else. So uh, we're going to continue to work it. And I, I just hope we can continue to act. I think it's important for the House to act first before the Senate, uh, we were we were playing off the Senate's playbook in the last round, and you know we're begging for local government help and all the rest. If you're the first mover, you get an advantage, and uh, I hope we can still move first, even though we're not in the Capitol. One thing that I find curious, uh, Congressman, is that this is we've had what three stimulus bills now to deal with the coronavirus um trillions of trillions of dollars uh and they're talking about perhaps another one um and yet <laughs> most of the time when it comes to spending thing spending money for well schools or for infrastructure or for i don't know a new national park or for uh family medical leave we always heard from the Republicans, there's no money, there's no money, we're broke, we're broke, <laughs> right, the deficit, we can't just add. So I wonder, I think a lot of Americans wonder, where did all this money come from all of a sudden? <laughs> well, it's all borrowed. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah. And, and the question really is, you know, what does it cost if we don't do anything? You know, what's, what's the cost if we let the economy basically shut down? And that's what would happen. I mean, if we didn't give, you know, the 600 or 700 billion dollars to these businesses, they would all go under. Um, and, and it's a hell of a thing to, to start back up a business than it is to just kind of, you know, put it on the back burner, keep it warm and then open it back up, hopefully in a few months. We, we would we would, it would be 60 million jobs, you know, that of people that would be filing for unemployment. And you'd go right into a depression and then you wouldn't send any money to the state or the locals and we would be in a depression and they would lay off and they would lay off police and fire. And then it would turn into bread lines and cheese lines and the kind of, we would be back to, you know, 1929, 1930. Um, and, and so the question is, what does that cost versus what's it cost to, you know, spend two, $3 trillion every few weeks to, to keep things going just so the the economy is still semi running, in uh, there, you know, you could go through and do the math, and it would it would cost significant treasure and lives if we did nothing. 
And I know that's always a hard thing to say, and but the 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 problem we're having now. Well, you you actually see the American people when when you're talking about you know unraveling the stay at home orders. Um, they're against what the president is saying uh, as far as like rushing mm-hmm. back out. So it's amazing right. that even though we're not getting any leadership from Washington D.C. from the president, that the American people are using their their common sense. They think we that the government should be spending more money to buttress the economy in both the private sector and with individuals and with uh, public public sector, and that we should not run out just yet and and start um, interacting too much. So, but in the midst of a crisis like this, Bill, like you need a president. It's like we're we're it's like we're a family without we're going through a crisis without a father. You know, like. The dad's at the bar drinking, and we're sitting here trying to figure out how we're going to put the fire out. The house is on fire. <laughs> so, uh, Congressman, we, I want to get to the politics of the day in just a moment. But one one final question about the this coronavirus epidemic. Look, it, it, we all know this is the greatest healthcare crisis, the greatest economic crisis of our lifetime. But we're going to come out of it. Yep. When we come out of it. Uh, do you think things are going to go back to being the way they were, or will there be any fundamental changes in dealing with income inequality or education or just uh, you know, treatment of American workers? Have we learned any lessons from this crisis, do you think, that maybe we'll start to do things a little differently? Yeah, that's that's my greatest hope. Um, I just wrote an op-ed for The Hill, uh, and I, I that's exactly what I talked about, that I do believe that there there is a shift happening in our culture right now. And the shift is around some pretty fundamental values that I think we've gotten away from. And that's a, a, the dignity of work. That's a, the appreciation for those people who we, you know, maybe a couple months ago walked right by at the grocery store, checked out, didn't look them in the eye, didn't say hello, didn't say thank you. Uh, Cause we were in a hurry, not that we were bad people, but we were in a hurry. And life was rolling on. And, and, and I think today, I see it with my wife. I see it with my wife. My wife's a, fourth, a first grade school teacher. And the text messages that she's getting and her, and her colleagues are getting from parents, I mean, it, you, you tear up read them because they're saying, you know, I don't know how you do this with 30 kids. I can barely manage, you know, homeschooling one or two of my kids. And you need to be paid more. And one was pretty cute that one lady said, uh, this is actually your kid and you need to come get him. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, the appreciation around yeah. teachers and the first responders and the frontline healthcare workers and all of these people is, is something that I think is, is really real. And we just got to hold on to it because from that comes living wages uh, universal health care, uh, making sure everyone has prescription drug coverage. You know, these are the kind of things that come out of value values that, that we have gotten away from. And, and so I, I feel like that's happening. Um, you, you mm-hmm. see what people are doing. I mean, we get a text message today from my, there's a neighborhood text message and, and one of the people is collecting boxes of food for the food bank and she just kind of activated our street. And I just, my, the second my wife gets the text, I hear her, 
you know, walking over to the pantry to get to fill up a box for her. And I'll run when I'm done with you, I'll go run and put it on her front porch. That's happening all over the country. My God, let's please not let that that spirit go away. And let's not let Donald Trump, you know, put put the kibosh on that thing. This is what America is all about. And I, I think we're going to move in a different direction. And I'll, I'll be damned if I'm going to go down without a fight, making sure that we do hold on to that. We're talking to Congressman Tim Ryan, representing Ohio's 13th Congressional District here on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Today's podcast with Congressman Tim Ryan, brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, under President Terry O'Sullivan, a real powerhouse in America's labor movement, half a million members strong working in the construction industry, the energy industry, and a whole lot of public employees as well, particularly in the health sector. We salute the members of the Laborers Union and direct you to their website at liuna.org, L-I-U-N-A.org. Congressman Ryan, good to join you again. Thanks again for taking some time with us. And before we let you go, just uh, a word uh, some people may not know. There is still a Democratic primary going on. This is still an election year. Uh, Congressman, you were a presidential candidate at one time, starting out in the Democratic primary. Uh, Is Joe Biden the right man for the right time? I really believe he is. I think this is the one of the underlying issues in this election is going to be trust. And I think Donald Trump has violated that in so many different ways. And, you know, there's a there's a long record there um, of just he, he can't be trusted. He can't be trusted to tell the truth, even if it means uh, a global pandemic is happening in China and it's coming our way and, and we've got to get ready. So, no, we need some honesty. And he denied it because he thought it would hurt him politically. And that led to thousands of more people dying in this country than needed to. Um, and so that, do you, do you trust them, uh, you know, and for him to do things and are you compassionate? I mean, to do things like preventing people from getting on, uh, the healthcare exchange for the affordable care act in the middle of a global pandemic is really a pretty high level of meanness. Um, and so I think trust is going to be an issue and that's where Joe Biden really thrives. I think most people, uh, whether they agree with him or disagree with him on certain issues, I think they trust him. He's a decent guy. He's a good guy. That still matters. And I think he, I think we're going to win Ohio. I think we're going to win Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. I, I think we're going to win Florida and North Carolina. I think we're going to run the table on this guy. He's overstepped. And I think Joe Biden's the exact person to, to be able to help us pull that all together. For the first time, Joe Biden has addressed the sexual assault allegation leveled against him by his former staffer, Tara Reid. Uh, Joe Biden says simply, it did not happen, uh, and asks the National Archives to release any personnel files that they have on Tara Reid in, uh, uh, in, their, in their possession. Um, has he handled this correctly, and do you think he has managed to put it behind him? Well, the, the right wing uh, media will make sure that, that this dies a very slow death. But I, I think Miss Reed uh, has every right to be heard on this. She uh, these are very serious allegations and, and she deserves to be heard. Uh, and I think Joe Biden rightly uh, addressed them. 
and and said what he said. And I think it's appropriate that he not only you know asked the archives, but also asked any responsible uh, media organization uh, to investigate it. Uh, and the key operative word there is responsible, uh, and for them to investigate it. And I think that's that's a pretty appropriate way for him to handle it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, get these questions answered and, and move on. Now, as a former presidential candidate, you might have been on the short list for vice presidential nominee, Congressman, <laughs> uh, except uh, Joe Biden has sort of said, put that, put that to back to sleep, right? Yeah. Said, no, no, no. I want a woman as my running mate. Uh, so, you know, the uh, women who are being considered, who's your top choice? You know, I go round and round, Bill, probably like you do and others do. I mean, I, I you know, loved Kamala Harris. I got to know her more than probably anybody else on the campaign trail. And I just I love her. You know, I think with all the economic uh, issues uh, circling around, I think Elizabeth Warren is an extremely uh, attractive candidate. Amy Klobuchar from my region, from the, you know, uh, industrial Midwest. I think she, you know, could lock down Minnesota and then really be a strong voice in some of these battleground industrial states. Uh, and, and then I don't really know the governor from Michigan, but, you know, putting Michigan in the wind column right out of the gate probably is not a bad idea either. So I go round and round. It depends on the day uh, I switch who, who I like best. So I'm going <laughs> to refrain from committing one way or the other. Um, but I, I can see it. And uh, I, I think it's also, you know, going to have to do a lot with the chemistry. I, I just think that's really important. Like watching him and, and President Obama, they just seem to click and they seem to like each other. And I thought, you know, that matters. Like they both look like good guys. And you help when, when you have that chemistry. And then there's some joy that the American people see that. And that means a lot that this is a these are good natured people. They're having fun. And don't we want our president to have fun and not have a scowl on his face every single day, not to mention any names. But, uh, you know, I think that may matter, too. So a lot of it may come down to those personal interviews that he's going to have with them to really say, here's the one I want to you know, be in a bus with for long periods of time and then work with the next four years. And that's, I think, going to come down to probably chemistry, if you had to ask me. Or as the vice president says, he wants somebody who's simpatico with him. Right? There you go. And, uh, hey. Yeah, there you go. Right? <laughs> hey, Congressman, good to spend some time with you. Thank you so much for your good work uh, on behalf of not just the people of Ohio, all the people of this country. And we'll see you back in Washington uh, at some point, yeah. whenever it's safe to come back. That's right. At some point. Always great to be with you, Bill. Thank you. And that's it for today's podcast with Congressman Tim Ryan and his uh, dog friends. <laughs> We salute the good congressman and thank him for joining us. Thank you all for joining us as well. And please, you know the drill. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod by just wherever you're listening to this podcast, click on the Bill Press Pod, pull up subscribe, click on subscribe, and you are in. And then tell your friends to do the same. They don't want them to miss all the fun. And speaking of fun, for real, the fun time follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod at Bill Press Pod. Meanwhile, stay strong and stay safe and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>